more often than the years that I've been alive, maybe you're at that point of fatigue at times, that you struggle with it. Why do we keep coming back to this 500-year-old document again and again and again? And yet I think that speaks to the fact of needing to be brought back, even as we'll hear this morning, to that old, old story. Why does this matter? Because this is what God has done to save us. And this is the message that he gives to us that we would send out. And he provides for our understanding in that a great story. And so we hear that in two stories of God's work today, to be mindful of all of this. Why does it matter? Because Jesus seeks and saves the lost. And that's the point that we need to start then our progression into the rest of the stories and the teachings of God's word and of our catechism with together. So let's hear that again, Luke 15. Let's hear verses 1 through 10. We bow ourselves before that, humbling ourselves before the reading of God's word, because it is that the very word of God. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray to him. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for bringing us to it again and to the wonder of your rejoicing in your celebration, Father, in gathering your sheep, of gathering your inheritance to yourself. And Father, we are overwhelmed that that message is for us, that you have revealed that in the hearts of believers And yet, Father, there are unbelievers who need to be changed by that this morning, too. And so we pray, Father, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our spirits would be pleasing to you, that you would use those words not as mine but as yours, that, Father, you would work by your way and by your Holy Spirit. Father, would you hear us? Would you be near to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, congregation, beloved of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, there is great power in the telling of great stories. Stories have the ability to calm a room. Calm a room, maybe if you've worked in library before, of those who, you know, we're going to take a minute. And so we'll allow what's going on here so that we won't be distracted. Why don't we pray a minute? Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you care for us. We've heard that in this text. Lord, you're caring for Jackie. You're caring for those who care for her. Father, you care for us in your word. And so we ask, Lord, that you would be near to us, that you'd be near to our sister. Father, that you would bless those who care for her. That, Father, you would work in our hearts that which is pleasing to you. And that, Lord, in all of these things, we can give you thanks for the care not only that you show to us, 
but that our brothers and sisters in Christ share as well. And so, Lord, would you gather our hearts to yourself? Father, might we hear truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, saints, there is great power in stories. My wife volunteers in the library at school, and so there is that point where in all of the hustle and bustle of what that time is, there's that moment where a good story is being read, and everyone's quiet. There's an opportunity, at least for a few moments, to be able to be engaged. Stories allow us the sharing of our experiences that engage our children in ways far better than a list of our expectations, our instructions, or our demands. In fact, most stories promote truth in ways that any number of other media can't. We are tellers of stories. And stories then have the remarkable power to change hearts and to change lives. And if that's true of stories in general, and all of you can think of those stories that you've read that have impacted you or shaped you in some way, How much more the story of the Word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the story of the redemptive work of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That we know that this is a story of great power as it is working. Romans 1.16 says that the gospel story is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so such a story should bring an abundance not only of change and salvation, but joy. Joy in the truth that that Jesus has come even to seek and save us. Us. The worst of sinners. And so that is a story we need to know. That's a story that we need to be impacted by. That's a story that should impact every part of who we are. It's a story that we need to embrace fully by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. But how well do you know it? Because as we talk this way and speak this way, again, we know lots of things, or we can speak different scriptures, or we can even rattle off some of the catechism that we've memorized long ago, which is why, young people, we memorize catechism. So it's there, that it's ready to go but more because we have a story that we need to be able to share. And that's the wonder that for me, having moved out of the promised land for a while to live in New York and live not among Reformed friends, but a lot of evangelical friends and Baptist friends, they knew lots of scriptures and they had had lots of experiences, but they had no way to share it. While for me, I had a way to share it, but I had very little of that experience. And so we certainly need to be dealing in matters of heart with our young people. And speaking of our own experiences and telling them the stories of of God's faithfulness and the gospel and the change in our own lives. But, But we're equipping them, we're equipping each other with a way to share that story with the lost. And so if you're sitting here this morning saying, I'm not good at sharing that story, be encouraged because you're in a place where you're hearing that story every Sunday. And we're going to continue to hear that story every Sunday. And so we hear it in the Bible, but I proffer to you this morning that the catechism helps us to share that story 
by giving us main truths that we can share succinctly and powerfully so that we can share that the Lord seeks and searches in love and grace. He does that by making known to us our great sin and guilt, by making us know His great salvation and His grace. He makes plain to us what a life of gratitude and service is all about. That's the story. That's what we share. That's what we live so that we might live and die in the joy of the comfort that Jesus affords. And so this walk through our catechism over the course of our next Sunday school years, our next two, we want to look at the truths of each Lord's Day as much as we're able, and we're not able to in every one, but as much as we're able in stories. We want to be able to do that by way of the narratives of the Scriptures, Again, to better understand that gospel, but also to engage our children and others in it. And so this sermon then, again, as I've said, serves as the introduction to that task as we're brought before God's joy in seeking and saving the lost. That it is that joy that leads him to do that work, that which is made known to us in that sin, salvation, service, guilt, grace, gratitude rubric. But instead of those... I want you to hear that summary in this way this morning, in looking at those sections together by way of the narrative we've read this morning, that we give ourselves in all hope and assurance to believing and making known the story of the truth of Jesus' seeking and searching. And so if we consider sin or guilt, what is wonderful in the narrative is that it first starts, and here's our first point, it starts with his receiving. And we see it in verses 1 and 2. Because all salvation, all hope, all assurance can only be found in Jesus. He's the only way, truth, and life. No one is made right with the Father apart from the righteousness of Christ. We know this. Nothing I've said to you, you haven't heard before. But how amazing is that? That in itself is a gift of grace, worthy of all thanks and celebration. He's made himself known to us as the one who knows everything about us. That there is no sin that you have done, no guilt that you carry, that he doesn't know altogether. Not one. And yet he says, I love my own and I want them. That's the story of the catechism from beginning to end. What is this comfort? And is it going to happen? Amen. There it is. And that story draws people to Jesus. Look again at verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. Hear that again. All the sinners drawing near to Jesus. He desires them to come. He delights in their coming. He doesn't question their coming. He doesn't reprimand their coming. He doesn't get in the way of their coming. Come to me. They're received and spoken to, welcomed as those made in God's image, worthy of being loved and saved, needing to hear and believe that they would have life in his name. It's the mission of the church. 
And so when Luke writes tax collectors and sinners, that's not a description saying that any of these people are worthy in themselves or in their works to come, to draw near, to be received, to have any thoughts that they should draw near and be received. Tax collectors participated with and supported Rome and its oppression, those who were stereotypically greedy. Sinners was a term for any knowingly unfaithful to the law as interpreted by the Pharisees. Yet they draw near. They come to hear that word. And they're received. They're taken in. They're drawn close. And for some reason, and even I have to confess that when I come to this at times, there's that part in me that is still shocked by this. That is that pride and self-righteousness that ultimately rises at saying, does he know them? It seems very different to the response to the church today by so many sinners and unbelievers. And it shows. Because they aren't drawing near. They aren't finding their way here. They're not being driven in droves to the church to draw near to Jesus and hear him. And we wonder why. But maybe it's because of the way that we share the first part of the story. Maybe because for all three Lord's Days on sin, we make it as though there are 33. And so do not hear this morning that we don't need to preach sin. We will continue to hear that. It needs to be laid out. It has to be cutting at our own hearts and hacking away all of that that we still hold on to. We need to tell a story of truth. As we share the story, we have to share the reality of sin, of our sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Hearing God's law, being brought before the the word of God's perfect holiness, all of us die. It tells us plainly our misery. But in speaking the story of sin, are we sharing only what it is to be separated as though that is where we need to remain? Stay away. Keep away. Or are we also sharing the truth of what it is for sinners to draw near and be received by Jesus? That is a great story. That is a beautiful one. That people are willing to stop and pause and hear. They and we need one to receive us, not on the basis of what we've done or who we were or who we are, but on the basis of what he, a perfect mediator and savior, is and does. That's the winsome story. That we can be received by him no matter what we've done because of his truth and work accomplished. That is what draws people to Jesus. And he draws them to himself because that's what he's come to do. I have come to seek and save. I have come to find and save those sinners that they would be received again by a father who showed his love in the creation of all things, who shows it in the wonder of election, who shows it in the very sending of Jesus himself in order to save that people. 
That's why Jesus receives them. That they would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they would be saved, that they would be brought to an abundant comfort. So yes, the story we share has to speak sin. Has to. But also the truth of being received by Jesus. And that's comfort we speak even to sinners in receiving them that they would hear that. But already some of you are starting to get uneasy because you're like, well, yeah, but not everybody's about that. Maybe I'm not fully about that. Not everyone even in churches is about that. Verse 2, for what do we read? And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Congregation know this, that grumbling in the scriptures is never a good thing. Because it usually signals a response of unbelief, ungratefulness, and unfaithfulness. And it's not surprising That as we look, and even in our own study of Matthew, we've already heard this. We've heard it before in the calling of Levi in Matthew 9, but also in Luke 5. But there the religious leaders are asking a question. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? They've made a statement there. Yeah, there's a little bit of edge to it, but at least it comes across as though they want to know why. Help us to understand. Here, it's a statement and condemnation. This man receives sinners and eats with them. The Pharisees are opposed to such outreach. As sharing a meal in their minds equaled fellowship and acceptance. And sadly, in the church, we talk that way. As though the hospitality the word calls us to shouldn't invite people into our house who are different or who are broken. But he receives them. They made plain that sinners were not welcome in their homes or at their tables. But Jesus makes known that he's come to receive them. To receive sinners, hear it, not by approving their sin. We never read that in the scriptures. Come as you are, stay as you are. We never read that in the scriptures. But he's come to receive sinners by doing what he'd come to accomplish. And so as we speak this story, as we seek to receive sinners in need of the very truths of that story that we needed, yes, that they would know sin, but also that they would know you are not alone in it, and we can be received to a father through Jesus, his son. We receive them in the name of Christ. We receive them in the word of Christ so that they would hear the story of Jesus And his rescuing, and that in the second place. Because this story that we tell is the greatest story of search and rescue ever. You can go through all recorded literature, and you can't find a story that is this awesome, that is this profound, that is this glorious. No matter how many books you read, this is the one. And that's why it is important, yes, to tell the true story of our condition and sin. We're lost. And yet there is a Savior who seeks and saves the lost. 
So in bringing them to yourself, you bring them now before Jesus, that they'd hear the wonder of his redeeming work, that they'd be rescued from sin and Satan and self, that they'd be rescued from this present evil age and from the judgment to come. That's the story Jesus tells. That's why we talk sin, but also salvation. And that's the story Jesus tells in these parables for us this morning, too. And so to do that, he often spoke in parables. And so maybe children in your Sunday school classes or in your Bible classes at school, maybe you've heard this definition of what a parable is, that it is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, okay? And it's a a basic understanding, but I want to challenge you this morning, young people, that it's more Because it speaks a meaning for this life too. It's not just heavenly meaning. There's an earthly meaning here. A meaning that can't just be understood, but that has to be believed. The story needs to be believed. And so this parable related in two stories reveals God's glory and how he relates to man and rescues him. And he speaks the story then to whom? Yeah, the tax collectors and sinners are there, but he's speaking also to the Pharisees, to the scribes, to those that thought they knew better, who show that they are just as lost so that they would too understand the Father's plan of salvation most fully realized in him. Verse 3, so he told them this parable, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost? And so use that story, which again, story is the way we relate to people. Jesus uses a story that the people could relate to and readily understand. Shepherds were everywhere. They know. To a shepherd then caring for sheep, every one of them is important. Right? For those of you who raise livestock, oh, I lost one. Like, this is not a small deal. Like, this is big news. Like, this is prayer worthy. Like, this is concern. Like, this is change of family economy sort of loss. Each one is important. If you've brought them out, you desire all of them to be brought back in. If you lost one, you'd go find it, right? Hey, so-and-so, your gate didn't work again and your cows are out. Come and get them, right? Uh, Whatever, they'll find their way. No, you would go and get them. Even for the cause of one sheep, a shepherd is willing to go. That in that moment, what's being communicated? That one is more important than all the rest. I want that one. And so he will literally go into the wilderness to work a search and rescue and leave the rest. And right away there, the city kid among us sits there and says, well, that seems kind of careless. And maybe it sounds careless to those who are raised in the country too. Why would you leave all of them out in the open? I mean, it's one thing if they were gated up and all of that, but you're leaving them in the wilderness to go find one that wandered away. You have 99. Care for them. What's one in comparison to the whole? But I want you to be challenged. Because such a response is the Pharisees' response. Such a response is the response of one who could be rightly labeled frozen chosen. 
cut your losses. They shouldn't have wandered off. They were raised better. They knew better. For a good shepherd, that's not enough. He searches until he finds it. He will not rest or stop looking until he knows with certainty what's happened. And when, verse 5, he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And here is the beauty of the story of Jesus saying, I have come to seek and save the lost. Why? It doesn't say if he finds it. When he finds it. It may take much time. All of that effort, all of those prayers, all of those tears. But in his will and in Christ's perfect work, the lost will be found and that shepherd will gather the sheep into his arms in the most blessed rescue and in the assurance that everything will be all right because he makes them right. I'm here and I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to bring you home. And that's the beauty in verse 6, right? And when he goes home, not back to the wilderness, I am bringing the sheep home. He calls together his friends and neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. And we'll talk more about that rejoicing in the last point. But the marvel of our story is that we can know the hope and assurance that the good shepherd, our Lord and Savior, will seek and save. We heard it in our assurance, Ezekiel 34, 11. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. And if he is seeking and searching for you, he will have you. It is an if, it is when. That's why Jesus was there. He does it by working faith, by his word and spirit, so the lost can truly be found, saved to life abundant and eternal. Just so, verse 7, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. One. That for those of you who may be discouraged at times in the life of the work that happens in the church, or in the churches, or in the kingdom. It's worth it for one. It's worth it for one. We forget it. But God's joy in seeking to have us forever is found. And it's found in two things here. It's first found in repentance. In confessing our sin before the Lord and running away from them, laying our guilt at the feet of Jesus and continually seeking to put sin to death. And second, it's found in faith. He gives and grants to us the faith to believe and know the wonder of salvation, the wonder of his coming and seeking and delivering in abundant and extravagant grace. That's his joy More than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And here we struggle with that because isn't it good to be righteous? Not in the way that's being referred to. It's because those condemning him think they have no need of repentance or of being saved. And Jesus makes plain, if this is not your delight, then you're lost. You're lost. You're separated from Christ. And so to sinners and tax collectors and Pharisees and longtime church members and those with no relationship with Jesus, 
the gospel goes forth. And it calls them all to repentance and to faith that can only be known in Jesus. In the trust and knowledge in that story that he must draw near and must change our hearts and minds and open our eyes to the truth and work faith to call on his name and be saved. But he will do it. It's the power of the story. He will do it. He will find and rescue his own sheep. He will save them completely. And that story of grace and rescue leads to rejoicing. And so again, instead of sin, salvation, service, or guilt, grace, gratitude, we could truly say his receiving, his rescuing, and his rejoicing. That's the joy of our story. And it's a story worth repeating, even as Jesus does now in another story, emphasizing the praise rightly due to the Lord for his work. And in thanks for that work, we pledge ourselves to lives of service and gratitude all our days, to serving his joy. Verse 8, or what woman having ten silver coins if she loses one coin? Again, another story of great worth. None of us could sit there and be like, I just lost a tenth of my saving and no big deal. Here it is, somewhere, and I can't find it. And while the whole of the value, even of the coin, this would be ten days' wages. So you lose a day of your wages, right? Maybe it doesn't seem so great to you. It seems great to me. It certainly would seem great to that woman. And so she searches. And so the shepherd's story highlights leaving the 99 to find the one. This story emphasizes her willingness, her diligence to find it. What woman does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? Careful search, painstaking search, all of her effort, giving herself fully to find just one. That's the wonder of Jesus. He's held nothing back. Nothing back from you. Nothing back from me to find us. Willing to suffer all things that we would be his forever. And that should well in us such a remarkable thanks and praise and gratitude. One that we would offer him always in love and service. In knowing what he has done and the effort he has made to make us belong to him, body and soul, in life and in death. And in the finding is the great rejoicing. And that was made plain in a, an interesting way, one that I wasn't planning on. I, I ended up having time to be able to go to the cadet kickoff this week, Wednesday. And so our cadets met a, a special employee of the, of the county. We met Titus who is one of the Ottawa County canines. And he's primarily used by them in order to seek out and find narcotics, but he's also used in search and rescue. And so the handler, in speaking of that, talked about those drug busts and whatnot, but he lit up in a different way when he talked about being able to, to be able to be used to find someone. And so the other work was great, But here was his joy. Why do you want to do this? This is why. 
the greatest excitement and joy of his handler was to locate the lost. He will use every means possible, but I want to find them. And when they're found, when she finds it, verse 9, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Rejoice because I have found that which is valuable and precious. Again, emphasis fully given to the joy and celebration, which one commentator said the party she threw probably cost more than the coin she found. Rejoicing. Abundant overflowing rejoicing. As thankful and grateful as we are for what's ours in Christ, it pales in comparison to the joy of the king. Because I have what is mine and I have found them. And I want you to rejoice in what I rejoice in too. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. It is the joy of a triune God that cannot be contained, that fills the heavens because it flows from the heart of a God and Savior. But yet we still question it. And we still doubt it. Is anyone worth all that? All that effort? All that struggle? For the mother reunited with her lost child, was it worth it? To a God who receives his son, his daughter to himself, is it worth it? Absolutely. Absolutely in every way. Why would a shepherd, one who cares for inherit, an inheritance, be so worried about one sheep, one coin, one sinner, one me? It's the folly of God's grace. But his chosen are precious to him. Because his sheep, his grain, his coins, his jewels, his children are valuable. He would not have them lost, but will seek them until they're found and will celebrate it in overwhelming joy. Do we know that story? Does that story still move us in the way that it needs to? One that we can't wait to share. So much more so than any other story. Do we delight in the joy that belongs to God? When the lost are found, is my reflex thanks and rejoicing or skepticism and judgment? God takes great joy and satisfaction in his work of bringing sinners to repentance. A repentance that is the result of his love. And so don't question that, brothers and sisters, but celebrate that. If you need to confess, confess that sometimes we share the Pharisee's attitude towards those needing salvation because we fail to recognize our own need. They needed to hear the story, and so do we. So let's give ourselves to knowing it and believing it and speaking it, and sharing that story, but more the God behind it, in his wonder and glory, in the salvation of sinners that belongs to him alone. And we will do that as we go forth from this place in love and obedience.
And so in our study of that confession, the study of the word, the study of the glory of God, may we be found faithful in grace and gratitude to the call of Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. That's the story we go to the lost with. May we become better tellers and believers of the same. Amen. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, for the wonder, Lord, of your rescue mission for us. Lord, we confess to you at times that we play the Pharisee in this story, that we doubt and we question, and we wonder why you aren't as righteous as we are. Lord, help our unbelief, forgive us our sins, increase our faith. But grant us, Father, such a knowledge and conviction and believing in this story that we can't help but tell it and proclaim it, an old, old story of Jesus and his love, of that great search and rescue mission, of the one willing to do all things even for us and our salvation. And so, Lord, would you work that deep in us? Would you work that in our children as well, that they would come to believe and be received and rescued forever. Father, hear our prayer, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.